This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm fired up because I've got a CEO, I've got an author, I've got a speaker, and I've got a guy I just told him that I have read his book twice, which I don't normally repeat reads on books, and this is a phenomenal book, The 12-Week Year. So Brian Moran, welcome to the Circuit of Success. Thanks. Uh, Glad to be here with you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being here. I know you're a busy man and you're traveling all over the country speaking and doing what you do. But uh, like all uh, podcast shows where we start is won't you just kind of give our listeners, those that don't know who you are, a little bit of uh, who Brian Moran is and what's made you the man you are today? Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting question. Well, um, who I am is, uh, you know, I'm a author, CEO, uh, leader, learner. <laughs> uh, you know, our organization works with uh, everybody from solopreneurs to large clients like Allstate and Medtronic and everything in between, um, everything we do is really designed to help them execute. And we'll talk, we'll talk more about that. But, um, you know, I started my management career in UPS. I was working UPS in college and they promoted me into part-time management. I was getting a degree in physiology to be a strength coach. And that really changed my path in life. I, I ended up working for a guy that was really uh, very much a coach as a boss, which today doesn't sound like any big deal. But, uh, you know, back in the day, no one talked about that. And that wasn't even on the radar. So that that made quite the impression on me that I ended up kind of changing, changed my path. And so that coupled with, you know, you ask um, what influenced me, my family, right? My mom, my dad, and, and uh, their influence, plus that experience at UPS. And then uh, the things I've read, you know, I, I quickly became, when I got into leadership, I quickly became a learner and started to apply what I learned and found some of it worked, some of it didn't. And that's when I really got turned on to learning. It wasn't in school, interestingly enough. You know, I, I did well in school, um, but I was never really excited about it. Um, when I started to read and apply it and s- saw the impact of it, that's when I got excited about learning. So. Yeah. Those are the things. It's amazing how that happens, right? The what is the old saying? The the student, uh, the teacher appears when the student is ready. Amen. Yeah. Right. So I, I know you've got a passion for helping others, and I think I would even say that that you help others go beyond where they ever thought possible, right? And so, where do you think that passion came from? I mean, was there this defining moment in your life, or where where did you get that passion? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I haven't thought a lot about that. I don't I don't know that there's a defining moment. I think it was more as I moved into leadership, I realized that, you know, I had an opportunity, but I also had a responsibility. And the responsibility was to be the best leader I could be. And so as I took that seriously and I saw the impact it was having, again, that's what got me excited, you, you know. And so, um, I mean, it just sort of, started to feed on itself, right? To, to realize that I could have a, a positive impact like that, make a difference for people is, is probably the most rewarding thing about what I do. And that got switched on pretty early. 
And so did you, like, so let's take your 12 week year, for example, for those of you who have not read it, I know I said it earlier in the opening, but just pick this book up the 12 week year. You can buy it really anywhere. It's a New York times bestseller. Um, but talk to us about that. Where did that concept come from? The idea? Uh, I think it makes total sense, right? Because if we come up and it's January or say it's even now like March, December seems a long way away, but you've added that sense of urgency with the 12 week year. Tell us where that came from. Yeah. So um, we had been working with um, our clients on execution, you know, kind of the fundamentals of what it takes to execute. Because I had this realization that when I when I went out on my own, I started to think about, you know, what was my value prop? What was I going to bring to the marketplace to the leaders that I was working with? And, and initially, um, Brett, I thought, you know, it's it, I'm going to bring them new ideas, new techniques. But as I started to really delve into that, I realized that that's not what they needed. They all had great ideas. The the thing keeping them from really the performance they were capable of, whether it was an individual or entire organization, was not that they lacked some idea. It was really around execution. So began working with the fundamentals of execution and what it takes to perform at your best. And then in that came along uh, an athletic training process called periodization um, and started to look at that and realize that that had applicability for what we were doing with our clients and even our own business. And so we took that concept and moved beyond training to focus on really the fundamentals that, that drive high performance in your business and in your personal life. And so part of that in athletics was this intense focus for a short period of time on a particular skill or discipline. And so although that didn't apply one-to-one one to, one to business, that's how the 12-week year was born. It was the realization that one of the things that keeps people from performing at their best is this annual environment. And yet no one's even questioned it. No one's even thought to question it because everybody works in that. And it's the scenario you mentioned, right, where we start out in January and December is a long way off. And so it's easy to put things off. Um, and, and what we realized is we needed to get out of that environment. And that's where it borrowed from periodization and the 12-week year was created. Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? When you look at companies and, and you've seen them obviously more than I have, but they have a, a December, say, as their year in closing, how, how, how can a December be twice as big a month as any other month, right? I mean, it just, it shows you what happens when people put some uh, little expectations on themselves and you put a deadline out there for people, what happens? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you a fun story. So we're going to a conference and we're going as a vendor. And we're thinking about, you know, what do we want to hand out? What kind of sh shiny stuff do we want to take with us? And I'd been thinking about writing a book and had talked to ghost authors and I didn't like that process. So I said, uh, Michael, my business partner, I said, let's just write a short format. Let's forget all the fluff. Let's just catch the concept. And, and so we did that. And we wrote that book in 12 weeks. It was the precursor to the current book. It was called Periodization, 12 Weeks to Breakthrough. And we went down to Kinko's. And, you know, big gamble. We printed 100 copies of the thing <laughs> at the conference, and we sold those. We had no clue if we would sell one book, let alone. But we sold out of them. And then from that, we sold 100,000 copies of that thing. And that's where Wiley and wanted to publish it. And so it's interesting because we wrote it in 12 weeks. It changed our business. It changed our lives. And did that change it to the 12-week year or total coincidence? Yeah. No, that was – you know, periodization is a difficult term. So 12-week year was more descriptive. So when we published it with Wiley, we changed the title of it. But basically, our book is in two parts. That first 
64 pages is very much like the original original book, just updated slightly. Got it. So I always like to ask authors, I've got mine in this book that was a, a huge aha for me, especially this time reading it. But what, what's your favorite part of the book? I mean, if you had to pick that that one topic of the book that if our listeners said, yeah, I got I to gotta listen to this one thing, what would it be? Wow. I don't know. As an author, you like it all or you wouldn't have written it, right? That's true. That's uh, true. See, when you're a non-author like me, you, you don't know that because I haven't written any books yeah. yet. Well, you know. Well, I'll give you mine here. Page uh, Page 72. Page 72 is um, the emotional cycle of change. Yeah. So I absolutely love that. And so let's walk through that. So if if you think I'll set it up for our listeners. So you got really five stages, right? Of any decision uh, of a business. But the first one is uninformed optimism. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So so to tee that up, there's this there's a way we tend to respond emotionally to change. And there's these different phases in that first phase, uninformed optimism. optimism is this notion that we've just heard about this new thing, right? You listen to this podcast, it could be the 12 week year, it could be some other technique or something else, but you're pretty fired up, right? You're thinking, Hey, this is, this is what I've been missing. At the same time, you're pretty clueless (laughs) because you don't know all that's involved, but that's okay. That's where it starts out. What's interesting about that is on that cycle though, emotionally phase one is where you peak. So, it doesn't yeah. get any better emotionally than phase one. And if you think about it, the reason is, is because you haven't had to lift a finger yet, right? right. You've, just, you've just been exposed to this concept or this new technique or this new product or whatever it is. And, and all it is at this point is hope for the future. And then as you get into it and you start to do some of the heavy lifting, we go from uninformed optimism to informed pessimism, where you start to realize that, wow, there's a lot of work in this. And it goes from, wow, this is great to, you know what, this sucks. And, and oftentimes we're looking around for confirmation from other folks that, that that's the case. Um, and then the good news, uh, Brett, it gets even worse. <laughs> phase three is the valley of despair. That's where emotionally we've bottomed out. So at phase one, you know, we're really excited about it. We, all we know are the benefits of phase three. We're hard up against our old habits, our old systems. Everything designed to get us what we got, not take us to the next level. And so what do most people do at that phase? Right. They quit, right? They quit and go back. And I think, too, the uninformed optimism is the brain likes shiny, new, right, that that sizzle to it, right? So that's why I think we're so excited. And then you get down to that valley of despair. Like you said, most people quit. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of it is we're not even intellectually honest. We don't say, I can't hack it. We go, oh, there's got to be a better idea. So we go off searching for the next latest, greatest idea. And there's literally individuals and entire organizations that train themselves to run that loop, right? Go find a new idea, get all excited about it. Okay, start to implement it. All right, bail on it, go looking for a new idea. Right. It's like the Um, old cartoon, you see the guy digging for gold, right? And little does he know he's an inch away, but he gives up and quits, right? The valley of despair and you start a new goal, you're back to uninformed optimism, then back to informed pessimism, valley of despair. So then phase four is informed optimism. Talk about that. Yeah, that's where if we stay in the game and we start to push through that, we'll we'll start to see some of the lead indicators moving. We'll start to see some of the results come online. So we move from this valley of despair to informed optimism where we have this kind of healthy balance of obstacles and benefits, you know, probably come to realize it's not the silver bullet that maybe I'd hoped for, but there's there's benefit to it. And um, 
you know, at that phase, then if we stay with it and continue to execute on it, then we reach the success and fulfillment. Um, and then something crazy happens. It starts over again. Yep. <laughs> the marketplace just shifted, but it starts from a position of success and fulfillment versus a position of failure. Big, big difference. Yeah. And, and this is the cycle that trips most people up, to be honest with you. I mean, because they're not prepared for it. And so when they hit the valley of despair, we want to reconcile that. And, and there's one of two ways. You either bail or you push through, and most people bail. Yeah, and I think, too, is I think uh, our COO, Kate Solberger, made a good point one time. And she said, you know, hopefully once you learn and you get to phase five, success and fulfillment, obviously we all agree, right, that it's going to continue. It's going to go back down to the valley of despair, like you said. But hopefully that valley is not as low. So what have you found or what are you helping people with? What are the great leaders that you connect with and coach with? What are they doing to make sure that valley doesn't go so far down? Well, if you think about leaders in particular, and if you had the graph in front of you, it's interesting because when leaders introduce a new change, you know, think about where the bulk of the effort is. Is it on the beginning, in the middle, or at the end? It's usually on the beginning, right, when they're trying to sell the concept. And people are all optimistic at that point anyway. When they're in the valley of despair, oftentimes leaders are introducing the next change. And then we wonder why, gosh, you know, this stuff never sticks. And so as a leader, it's really important that you understand that people are going to go through that valley and they're probably going to go through it multiple times. And so how do you help encourage people to stay in the game when that's happening? And you do that as you come up alongside of them, you help them confront the reality and and keep them connected to the longer term vision. So speaking of the word vision here, so why do you feel the vision is so important? I mean, it's, uh, obviously people listening is like, well, duh. Yeah, of course we know it's it's important, but but why? Why is that? Yeah, that's interesting because people know it's important, but they still don't do it. Right. That's my point. Yeah. And and it's the, it's the starting point, right? It's the first place we engage our thinking about what's possible. It's also the first place where we limit ourselves. But it's the, it's the emotional connection to stepping out. I mean, if you're going to create a different result, you're going to have to do things differently and do different things. And every time you do that, there's a level of uncertainty. There's a level of discomfort. There's a level of anxiety. Um, And without a compelling vision of the future that's bigger than the present, it's too easy to choose what's comfortable and familiar, the things I've done in the past. And, And that's how great performers become mediocre. Honestly, Brett, that's how great companies go out of business. It's not because everyone resists change. It's that they continue to do what they've always done and the marketplace moves on and leaves them in the dust. And so that vision is the, it's the personal connection. It's the why, right? It's the emotional connection to me taking these new actions in spite of the fact they're uncomfortable, in spite of the fact that they're unpredictable. Why? Because my future matters that much to me. Yeah. And I'm assuming you would agree with this is that, and and even the people listening as you're driving or doing whatever they're doing while they listen and, and, you know, raise your hand while you're driving, but how many people have a written business plan, right? A written vision, business, personal, whatever it may be. And then the next question is how many of those people are actually reading them every single day to make sure that vision becomes a reality, right? And I would assume that most people you work with, that's maybe one of the differences to make great business leaders versus mediocre ones. Yeah, and it even goes down to doing the work with your staff. So when we work with leaders, we have them do that vision work with their staff, even their part-time staff, so that we can connect the dots between how you succeeding here in the business helps enable the life they want to live. And and yet very few people ever do that work. Uh, it's powerful when you do it. 
And so are you seeing that done mostly by retreats? Is that done in uh, corporate settings, corporate meetings? I mean, how are you, again, back to these great leaders, how are you finding most of them spend their time finding that vision and, and making it a reality? Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be a retreat. Retreats are great, but it's not like you got you to gotta carve out all this time and expense to do it, right? You can carve out a couple of hours and begin to work on it. Um, and when you're working with your team, it can be as effective one-on-one as it can in a small group. So there isn't one right way. The answer is figure out a time and a place to do it. If you want to do a retreat, great. If you don't want to do that, just schedule an hour <laughs> and start. So talk to me about uh, when I say business vision versus personal vision, what comes to mind or what are your thoughts? Yeah, a couple things. One is that most people, if they've done any vision work, it's on the business and oftentimes it's around a corporate or departmental goal. We get everybody together, we haggle over wording, and then someone you know types it up and frames it, puts it on a wall, and nothing happens. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. It's not you know to be premier or be the best or whatever. When we talk vision, we're talking about what do you want your life to look like three years from now, 10 years from now? And we start with your personal life because business is part of life. That's where the emotional connection comes in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I always say this to even people in our firm is, in my opinion, your personal vision and your personal desires are what's going to drive you to be successful professionally. Absolutely. Right? The clearer we can be on that, the better. Yeah. And then how, how does the business or career align and enable that? So there, right. so there is that emotional connection to what I do Monday through Friday and the life I want to live. So in the book, you talk about there's two things that you can control, really. I mean, it's it's your the way you think and the way you act. So that's easier said than done. So talk to us about that. Yeah, that gets at the notion, you know, when you ask about favorite chapters, you know, we have a different view on a lot of things, obviously, but accountability is one of them in that, you know, we talk in the book how most people equate accountability with negative consequence. I mean, virtually everywhere you hear that word in society, it's affiliated with bad behavior, poor performance, negative consequence. And, and so really helping people understand accountability isn't consequences, it's ownership, right? It's, it's predicated on the understanding that I always, 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 always have choice, right? It's this notion of free will choice and then taking ownership of those choices. And so ultimately, what, what do I have control over? Two things, my thinking and my actions, that's it. But if I own that, then, then the, there's a greater likelihood that life's going to show up for me the way I want it to, right? When, and, and yet, here's the, here's the reality, Brett. All of us at times are looking outside of ourselves. We're waiting for someone or something to change, which means we're giving away our power. And, and if there's an area you're struggling, and if you peel it back, it's typically an area where we haven't taken ownership. When you take ownership, things will change. Now, it doesn't guarantee the results are going to turn out, but it guarantees you're going to bring the best of what you have to it. And, and part of accountability is this, this understanding that we don't control the outcomes, we control the actions. Your goals are outcomes. The tactics and the plans are actions. And so when we start to, when we start to think we control outcomes, we get all spun around the axis and it becomes more um, paralyzing than it does empowering. But you can certainly take ownership of your actions and your actions are driving the results. So if you don't like the results, right, we create different actions. We own them. We act on them, we, which ultimately influences the results and changes the results. 
Yeah, it's very well said. So let me play devil's advocate, right? So somebody's probably listening to this and saying, yeah, but you don't understand my deal, right? It's different, right? So how do I, I get that. I can think differently, but if I wake up in the morning and I have some anxiety or, or in the afternoon, I get that bad call. Um, even this morning, for some reason I woke up and had, you know, just a negative thought and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. We're not even going to go there. And then I, I replaced it with three positive thoughts and, and you know, got up and had a, and having a great day so far. And so that's with lots of training, lots of reading, lots of podcast recordings. And so what recommendations would you have for people that say, yeah, but I get it. I get it, Brian. I get it, Brett. But man, my deal is different. Yeah. I, first off, everybody's deal is different to some extent and everybody's deal is the same, right? There's, there's certain things of being human that we share. And doubt and, and troubles and trials are all part of that. And, and so what you just described is good. I don't believe we can control what pops in our head, but we do have a choice of whether or not we dwell on it and feed it. And so, you know, negative, unproductive thoughts come in, focus on something different. And like anything else, you have to train yourself to do it. And it starts with the very first time it happens. When you recognize it, you just move to a different thought. You move to something that's more positive, more empowering, something that you have control over. Um, and as you do that more and more, it'll become more automatic because you've trained yourself to do that. Um, but there's no magic in it. The, the, the challenge, I think, Brett, is people don't want to do the heavy lifting. They want to be done for them. But I want to take this pill right. and I'll magically be the, the best me. That doesn't happen. The best you comes out because you've worked at it and and, and you have to realize that it's never perfect, but it doesn't need to be. Right? You're going to stumble along the way. That's part of, that's part of the gig. And, and so we learn from those and we get better through that. But the ultimate victim is to, is to just kind of throw up my hands and say, well, you know, my situation's different. Okay. And it's going to be reflected in your life too. You're not going to live the life you want or the life you're capable of. And um, ultimately that's, that's each individual's choice, whether, whether I engage that or I don't. So, and I agree with this. So you talk about this in the book and, and so sharing your vision uh, with other people, right? Cause I can have a vision. I can go put it in my top drawer, my desk and say, uh, you know, that's great. I got a vision and then I'm done. Right. Cause I think we don't want to put ourselves out there because then if you don't get it right, there's failure and then all that other stuff we can talk about. But, but sharing your vision with other people, why is that so important? Yeah, it's critical. But here's the, here's the, here's the asterisk with that is you share it with people that are going to expand it and build it and challenge it. Not the people that, not the naysayers, you know, stay away from those folks. Those folks, they're uncomfortable about you succeeding, right? They don't want other people to succeed. And uh, they play a small game. You know, I think the ultimate tragedy in, in life, Brett, would be get the end of your life and realize you let a handful of people control what you're capable of. So, so who you share it with matters. You want to share it with people that are going to encourage it, that are going to build it, that are going to expand it. But when you do that, when you verbalize it, it creates more ownership in it and it creates more excitement. So part of, part of the, the heavy lifting is not creating the vision. It's staying connected to it daily, kind of mentally trying it on. Again, sharing it with the people that are going to build it, sharing it with people when you're frustrated that you're not making any progress on it and, and they encourage you and they, they keep you in the game. There's study after study shows if you're going it alone, you're stacking the odds against yourself. If you have a few people that you're willing to be honest and transparent with, you're going to do better in life. Because I don't know if you noticed, but there's, 
There's challenges in life. There's victories in life. There's setbacks. All of that's part of the human element and part of the human experience. So just acknowledging that rather than trying to fight that, embrace that and realize that all of that either makes me better or if I let it, it'll eat me up. I like that. I'm writing that down. Um, so let's talk about the circuit of success. Let's talk about, I'm going to throw out some words. Tell me what you think uh, as soon as you hear that. When you hear the word attitude, what comes to mind? Well, attitude is simply a reflection of your thinking. And so I'm real intentional about my thinking and looking at, you know, where do I want to be in life? So every time you get somewhere, there's a new there, isn't there? And so in order to get there, what's the, what's my, how's my thinking need to change? Right. What's when I'm there, what's going to be different about my thinking and my actions? Because the sooner I can get on board with that is the sooner I'm going to get there. So, for instance, if I want to take my company from five million to ten million, ten million dollar companies different. The leader of a ten million dollar company thinks and acts differently. Right. So I want to begin to think about that. If it's going from ten million to fifty million, whatever it is, if it's going from fat and out of shape to being fit. If it's going from strained relationships to relationships that are just really thriving, there's a different mindset that goes with that because our actions are driven by our thinking. And if the thinking's not uh, productive, then the actions won't be either. So attitude is just a it's just a reflection of thinking. What about uh, beliefs? So those belief systems that Brian Moran, like there's no way I can knock you off that horse. What is it? What are those belief systems? Well, that's the thinking again, right? So, so part of that uh, belief system is your worldview, and I, I don't want to get too religious on you, but spiritually, you know, I, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. So that's a that's a core worldview for me, and so there's a lot of my philosophy grows out of that in terms of how I see myself, where my significance comes from, all of that type of stuff. The other is I, I family's big for me. I mentioned that earlier. Um, so we do a lot to build family identity, just like my parents did with us. And we do that with our kids. And what does it mean to be a Moran? So I'm pretty clear on, you know, how I want to show up in the world from a character standpoint. And then there's the, the pieces that I understand about how we're, how we're wired, right? The whole back to the thinking piece, the whole, there's always thinking that's unproductive. There's always some aspect of your thinking that's getting in the way of you getting where you want to go. And so taking time out. And, and unpacking that occasionally, not just always being run and run and running, but taking time out. And the 12 week year facilitates that really well because every 13th week is a time where we reflect, where we look back, where we learn, where we uh, celebrate, where we reload. And so it's part of that um, continual learning system. I like it. I like it. So let's talk about actions. I mean, what are the actions that, let's even go to you personally. I mean, what are the things every single day? that you have found have made you successful? What are those habits? What are those rituals? Yeah, again, it, st- it starts with my faith, right? So am I, am I reading the Bible? Am I praying? Am I working out, staying physically healthy? Because mental health and physical health are pretty tied together. So, you know, I do, I do superfoods. I do the wheatgrass. I do the oil. I do the spirulina because it, it keeps me healthy at a cellular level. Say those again. So what is that? I guess I'm not familiar with that. Um, there are, there are, what they call superfoods. Wheatgrass is probably the most potent food on earth. So over 90 vitamins and minerals. And, you, you know, if you take vitamins, they're synthetic. The source matters. So right. great resource for your listeners is ontargetliving.com. Chris Johnson's a buddy of mine. Uh, this is where I've learned all this stuff. But 
we buy wheatgrass from, from him and frozen cubes, and we just call it shooting the grass. We melt them in a little warm water, and every morning we have wheatgrass highly alkaline. And if you know anything about pH, you want to keep your body alkaline, not acidic. Most of the stuff we eat and drink is acidic. Um, there have been some studies that show um, it may be impossible, but certainly very difficult to get cancer if your body's alkaline. So wheatgrass is highly alkaline. The, the, the oil, the fish oil, keeps the cell wall supple, so you get the nutrient exchange, which is where your metabolism is. The spirulina is an algae that um, works on your immune system. So there are three things that huh. you know. I- you do those every morning, like in almost like a cup of tea or something? Yeah, I do the wheatgrass, and because that absorbs real quickly, I'll let that go for 10, 15 minutes, then I'll do the oil, and then I do the spirulina tabs at noon. Huh. That, I like it. Yeah, so that's that's a physical ritual that I do um, along with work, working out, you know. But the it's hard it's hard to be sharp mentally if you're not physically, right, because you run out of energy and things throw you for a loop. And, and just getting those endorphins going through the exercise right. kind of clears the cobwebs and I, I found is really critical. So that's that's part of my routine. So let's talk about fears. How, uh, how have you done over your career on putting fears into your mind? Is that something that you've done a fair amount of or not? Putting fears in or overcoming fears or what are you? Uh, just putting fears in, right? I mean, I think whether it's when you wake up in the morning or throughout the day, I mean, we all, I think as humans can put these negative self thoughts in our minds, right? And I know we've talked a lot about thinking today. And so I've always got a follow-up question that, that I'll ask you, but have you put a lot of fears in your mind over your career? You know, Brett, interesting question. I don't know. I don't dwell on it. I'm sure I have, but it's kind of the same thing. When they pop in, I try, as soon as I recognize what's going on, I shift. I, I think about the fact that, have I been in a situation like this before and overcome it? How's it turned out for me? You know, um, again, my spiritual foundation factors into that as well. So I don't linger on fears. Yeah. And I think my follow-up question is always, have the fears you've put in your mind, have any of them blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? No, no, they never, they never right. do, right? Right. And I just, I, I crack up every time. I haven't been through difficult situations. I mean, we've lost everything. My wife and I have both been through cancer and all of that. But how you, how you go through that, too, makes a difference. <laughs> so whether or not you go through it sometimes isn't your choice, but how you go through it certainly is a choice you make. So how did you do that? So let's talk about that for a second. You, you you got told I have you have cancer, right? And so, how do you build your system around you to make sure you stay positive? And, and is it, is it the people? It's obviously your faith. I mean, what helped you get through that? Yeah, my my wife was first diagnosed with it, and um, you know, one of the pieces there obviously was faith for us, um, but the other piece was just you know being present in the moment, not knowing what the future held. For, for me, it would have been real easy to escape that mentally by sort of living in the future, right? Beyond the, beyond the surgery, beyond the chemo, beyond the five years. And so I had to be real intentional about being in the moment. And um, it was a challenge because, I mean, there were times we called it going to the dark side, right? When one of us would get really frightened because we didn't know. I mean, we, there was no guarantee. And, um, and uh, you know, we were blessed with friends that came to our aid and helped do all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, physically took care of Judy while I worked and, and things like that and a lot of prayer. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's how we got through it. Wow. That's a defining moment for sure, huh? Absolutely. 
So what would you do if you could go back, you know, say 15 years and tell Brian Moran something? You give you give that guy some advice. What would you give him? Yeah, I think that when I when I look back at life, you know, there's this for me anyways, um, you know, I, I think I would have risked even more. And so my challenge is when I look back 10 years from now, you know, will I look back and go, man, I didn't hold anything back. That's the key for me. Yeah, that's a big deal because it is. I mean, I think so many times in the moment, right? We don't want to rest too much because you're some of those fears or whatever could come in. But you're right. When you look back at your career, if you just took an extra step or two, right? You know, it's interesting. You know who Bodie Miller is, the skier? Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I was just I was just reading about him, and when he started out skiing, he wasn't very good. And, and I mean, he wasn't. You know, he was in these races, and he's placing like thirtieth or whatever. There was nothing that indicated that he was going to be the skier he was. And at the time, the way he was training, he realized it wasn't working for him. And so he made this decision that he was going to he was going to try and crash more. He was just going to go all out, kind of kind of balls to the wall, if you will. Excuse the, the language, right. but but let it all hang out. And what happened was he crashed a ton, but he learned how to crash, and he learned how to crash and not hurt himself. And then he started learning how not to crash. And so when he got to these races, these guys had been training at maybe eighty percent, and now they're at the race trying to go all out. And they'd lose it where he had trained that way, right? He held nothing back. And, and to me, that's kind of a great example of what I'm talking about. You know, I think the more you can live your life with, and I'm not saying stupid risks, but the more you can live your life with sure. this notion that, man, I'm, I'm not going to let the fear or the doubt hold me back. It's, it's another thing if I look and I go, that's not a smart decision. But if it's fear or doubt holding me back, you know, I want to I lean into that, not away from it. Yeah, it's interesting to think about going to crash more, but you're right. I mean, and that's probably what made him be the skier he is today, or I guess was. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your getting started course. Let's, um, why don't you plug that a little bit? Because I know that's a phenomenal thing that you have, and, and the price is right too, right? Yeah, the price is great. It's free. <laughs> so your listeners can go to 12weekyear.com. That's the number 12, 12weekyear.com forward slash getting started. Um, or you could text start to 716 execute either way and you'll get three emails from me the first will be about um, the whole notion of vision and planning how to create a 12-week tactical plan how to build that vision three days later you'll get another email which will be about process control and scorekeeping and then three days post that you'll get the the last email which is on time blocking how to take back control of your day so the four disciplines if you will of the 12-week year and and how to begin to apply them in your business and in your personal life. Awesome. Well, we will definitely send people there. We'll put it in the show notes. Where can our listeners find more Brian Moran? Where's uh, where's the best place to find you on website, social media? Yeah, yeah. You can find us on social media, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, all that. It's all twelve week year. So, okay. twelve week year dot com is our website. We uh, you know, we do everything from individual coaching to small group coaching to. You know, live events and certification. We have an online system, all kinds of stuff to help you. And so if we can be of help in any way, shape, or form, please let us know. That's uh, our, our whole team is about that. It's about helping others be more successful. Awesome. Brian Moran, it's been a uh, pleasure having you on the Circuit of Success podcast, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. It's been great. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, 
Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 